Welcome back to your favorite podcast, Parole. Here I am bringing more Rwandans that I can count. Rwanda, another version of Burundi. Burundi, a God-given gift to Africa and to the world. Let's go back to Rwanda. As I look back, I am appreciative of what the country has done. One thing that the world is able to see or read is the power of the narrative that has come from this small country. And to do so, the country needed to revamp its image, literally. Who wants to be talking about the genocide in 50 years, other than for remembrance, of course? Rwanda has more to offer. I mean, even if it is a lesser version of Burundi. Here I am talking with John Mazimhaka, a Rwandan who decided to go back home. Now, she's one of the co-founders of Ilum Studios, a communications agency that she started 11 years ago. For those of you who are working in a creative space, photography, video, social media, etc., I will invite you to get in touch with her and for the audience, Google her work. 15 years ago, friends invited me to visit Kigali for a couple of days. And let me be real, I was not running to get my passport or book a plane ticket. And nowadays, things are different. I know I'd rather spend more time in the country and only the capital, but also the countryside. I usually plan my holidays to escape, and thanks to the Rwandan Marketing Project that has taken place for a solid 10 years, I'm excited to visit the country. I bet more countries, more governments could get involved in funding these types of projects. I'd be down to visit Chad, but you know, I don't know much about the country. No, there is not enough data to incentivize me to visit the country. Nowadays, people who watch football will recognize the visit Rwanda on two jerseys, PSG and Arsenal. Who knows, maybe in a couple of years, the country will sponsor the Lakers or the Warriors. This is the power of image and its influence on the human psyche. As I already shared before, I aim to reach a million downloads per episode. So here's me asking for your help. Share, share, share. Paul Podcast is on all the major podcast platforms. Apple, Spotify, Google, Afripod, Audaps, etc. Power Podcast, via Boy Studios, is also on Patreon. If you want to support my podcast, find the link on the show notes. Until next time. Power Podcast. Power Podcast is in Rwanda today. And as I like to tell the audience, is that Burundi is the heart of Africa. I heard Uganda is the pearl of Africa. Okay, sure. And Zimbabwe is only like a sure. basket of Africa. Okay, and yes. then I wonder, yes. what is Rwanda? Other than the gorillas, and we all have gorillas. And we all have gorillas. You started with the gorillas. Just tell, just tell me. Rwanda is the hub <laughs> of Africa. Me. We are where you come to connect, where you come to relax. The future of Africa okay. is where we're based. It's a tech hub. We're, oh, we're, wow. we're getting Soon you're just going to find everything you need here. And it's a central location for everybody. So we are the hub Kenya will feel, of Africa. Are you sure Kenya feels so good about that? Kenya has you know, not assumption? really. Kenya is is now accepting and embracing Rwanda. <laughs> are you sure? No, it's absolutely Just not pushing true. the narrative. It's absolutely not true. But we're working on our relations. We have fun, so we're working on our relations because you know we're That's the little true. like That's crappy true. one coming for yeah for the prize. So you know yeah. the the term um, the term like. Kushima. It's just really to brag. But like, yes. you know, and I feel like Rwandans, you guys do it well. How about that? I feel like I feel like we don't really have a choice. You know, so 
we're the underdog. No, that's what I mean. Is every we're all you know, people are always coming for us. We're here minding our business, growing, you know, just trying to have a good time. And, you know, people are always okay. here trying to, you know, see what's what. So we have to, you know, we've developed a sense of pride in what we have. You know, we might not be the best at everything, but what we got is great. So, you know, we thank God. We say that oh, that's what it is. Yeah. It's just gratitude uh-huh. for where we uh, are. I, you know? I feel like this conversation yeah. is going well. It's going to end well as well. So <laughs> let me <laughs> let me start with you, Joan. Who are you? I am Joan Mazumhaka. I am a founder of um, Ilum Creative Studio, which is a communications agency based in Rwanda. We do content creation and content marketing, and we usually do that for, for our clients, but we also create our own products and services that are part of our creative studio elements. So we offer experiences, and essentially... We formed ourselves 12 years ago. It's a group of um, five founders, five co-founders who essentially were friends. And mm-hmm. we were all returnees to Rwanda with different, from different backgrounds, different ex- life experiences. But we all had moved back around the same time. And so we were essentially looking, we all had a passion for different forms of communication, photography, video, design, marketing, uh, even sto- and most particularly storytelling, which is essentially the umbrella behind it. And we found living in Rwanda that Rwanda as a country was doing pretty well in uh, in terms of refurbishing its um, mm-hmm. its brand as a nation in terms of showing that Rwanda is growing as a nation. But most of the storytelling was really still around the guerrillas and the genocide against the Tutsi. So our mission at the time was to change what you see when you Google Rwanda. And so we wanted to do that through our communications, through our photography, mm. through our video. And essentially, we started doing that as um, the first to market comms agency. We've had some strong marketing and advertising companies in Rwanda, but none were really focused on comms, particularly in the digital space. So we were essentially trying to change the narrative and use various storytelling to talk about our arts industry, about our growing businesses, about um, what it's like to come back to Rwanda, about Rwanda as a nation from the perspective of the people who were here. And so we found we are 12 years in now. And so we found around the last year, around this year, that we felt we kind of fulfilled that mission because a lot of what's seen um, in terms of what we've produced is is really what's seen when you Google Rwanda. A lot of our content is there. A lot of people who have been supporting us or companies who hired us to work with them and brands are, are leading the way. So for us now, we're kind of shifting to a space where we are being creative and innovative and offering our own experiences to people so that we're not necessarily just telling everybody else's stories from the traditional perspective of a communications agency, but we're looking at different ways to broaden our perspective. We are a pan-African agency, essentially. We've been working based in Rwanda, but working in different African countries. So we really want to promote and push the Pan-African story from the perspective of those of us who are here on the continent. I've been joking, but you guys have been doing great because I'm standing here in Lyon, I'm standing here in France, (laughs) and from where I'm standing, I feel like Rwanda 
is everywhere, obviously, with the PSG and, you know, Arsenal. Mm-hmm. And oh, that was thing. a big one, yeah. It was uh-huh. so funny because I went to Copenhagen last year and I saw, like, a, a jersey and I saw what was in quite bad. I was like, come on, you know, I wanted to be angry. I wanted to be jealous. That was and it was incredible. Uh, and I was like, no, Runda, Runda, Runda. It's, <laughs> you know, same, same. I was, that was cultural appropriation at its best, trust me. <laughs> Actually, I think I saw some uh, some memes online where people just changed the Rwanda name to their own country. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah, I yeah. Like I, I think Burundi on the map. I mean, Burundi on the map did some great <laughs> job, and I keep laughing. <laughs> but the same thing is, you know, when you're from Burundi, and I grew up in Burundi, so you you said that you're coming from other space. I will talk yeah. about that a little. It's funny because I heard about Rwanda in a certain way that. Even for me, being a neighbor, never really expected you guys to do so, so, so well. Oh, in yeah. In less than 30 years, you mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. And it is just struck as, because I remember this. I was like, oh, after the genocide, there was no clean water, for example. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, how do they, you know, how do they drink water? Mind you, I was maybe something like 10, you know, yeah. so something like 7, 8, 9, 10. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, how do they do that? Oh, there's not this. There's not that. Mm-hmm. Oh, the, uh, schools are closed. No, 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 no. And now you have the Carnegies, and now you have the the, the mm-hmm. <laughs> investments coming in. Yeah. And I'm 35, and I'm like, what is happening? <laughs> Who did what? Okay, yeah. we'll look into that because this is really a powerful statement of what the country is doing. Yeah. But how about you, you mm-hmm. Joan? You're mm-hmm. from the outside. You're hearing about what's happening in your home country. I don't know if you speak Kinyarwanda, uh, yeah. you know, may assume. Uh, no, actually, I wasn't even, uh, I wasn't born in Rwanda or raised. Okay. So I was actually born in Uganda mm-hmm. um, and then raised in Kenya, then Canada. And then my father was encouraging us to come to Rwanda because it was his home country that he had been exiled from. So he was part of the liberation movement. And so once the, um, the RPF had taken over and once the... He wa- once the Rwanda had started to rebuild, he wanted us to come and see what his country was and, you know, what we could, how we could be a part of its growth. So mm-hmm. for me, I didn't even know too much about Rwanda until around, just before the time that the genocide against the Tutsi was happening in 94, because I was also young. And then I started paying a bit more attention. Mm-hmm. And even the finding it on the map, I was like, wow, that is a small... <laughs> small country and then uh, yeah and so but coming here was coming home regardless because we even had gone to Uganda and we came here for the first time so seeing Rwanda at the time so the first time we came was 95 and then 97 and then we just kept coming to to visit and Mm -hmm. just seeing the country at the time compared to where it is now it's not it's an absolutely remarkable story it's an absolutely remarkable story formed out of a, a dedication and a vision and a focus from the mm-hmm. leadership of the country. From the, because even just the stories my father had and watching him as he was part of the leadership and watching the people that he has been alongside. And then, of course, our, our the leadership with our president now. And from that time, it's just been a focused dedication. And so we talk a bit. <laughs> about Rwandans and our bragging, but it's honestly because we also have not been, you know, when you see what's happening around you, you don't have too much of a choice, but to, to do your best in what you're, what you're doing. You have a choice, you're a human being, hmm. but you can see that there are things that are possible. 
and so so the growth of the country is, is built on those who who were determined and dedicated to turn it. And I don't even know if they had a vision like this in terms of time, how, how quickly it's been. But the vision yeah. to get to this point is has just been something that we've always been hearing about and been encouraged to be a part of. So that's, and, and I think that that's also now reflected in how we have different industries growing here because we really didn't have creative industries. We didn't have too many... Um, as much in the fashion industry before, it was really maybe one or two people that were doing things. And now you can see a growth because there's a freedom to move from um, exclusively like infrastructure work and exclusively agriculture for the purpose of serving the country. Now people are doing agriculture with tech incorporated um, for export purposes. So it's, you can see the growth even through the industries, but I think it was that vision that, that has led us to that point that continues to, to keep us here. 30 years ago, that was a, that was a rundown. And then there was the Vision 2020, that I remember because we used to laugh about it. And I used to laugh about it, to be honest with you. Yeah, Alex is a, it's not a hater. <laughs> but <laughs> I mean, you I, said the word. No, 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 not at all. <laughs> but the beauty is what, as, as, um, as someone who's in the creative space, what is for you creativity? Uh, what is creativity? That's a that's a great question because I feel like it applies across the board, especially more and more these days. So when we were speaking of the creative industries in general, we're usually talking about performing arts, about visual arts, but now it's gone into digital art. It's gone into, um, you know, it goes from photography and video to design. It goes into plays, it goes to musicians, it goes to various forms of artists. But I think now creativity is being incorporated across the board when it comes to things even to do with finance, to do with agriculture, to do with architecture, manufacturing. I think it's something that is, as long as you are open to the opportunity to look, uh, to see beyond what's in front of you, to have creative solutions, to have innovative solutions, creativity is incorporated in everything that you do. And so now for me, Creativity is essentially to be able to see beyond what's in front of you mm-hmm. and to to add on something that will that will completely change what you what you're trying to build or what you're trying to develop. So I and creativity is also it's openness, it's a bit it's freedom, it's incorporating uh, it's it's energy, it's innovation. To me, that's can apply across the board beyond the creative industries themselves. Obviously, because, you know, time went by quickly in terms of two decades or three decades. What were you thinking back when you were traveling in, in Rwanda, in Kigali, Butare, or whatever provinces or cities? What were you seeing there that really struck as not normal? And trying to, because the fact for me that you decided to come back, obviously your father asking you to come back is one thing, but then you have to say, mm, I don't feel comfortable. I can decide to live in Uganda or Kenya. To really see that that younger you versus now, who maybe didn't define, didn't even know maybe what creativity was or innovation or just plain simply vision, you know. What were you thinking that, what were you seeing first? Because it was a horrible time, let's be honest. And there's no way of sugarcoating things. And then versus you now, 2023. So when we first came, it was definitely, 
for me, there was definitely an initial, there was a, a dichotomy. There was a simultaneous disconnection and a connection. Hmm. There was a disconnection because I didn't know enough about my country for it to feel familiar. And I was very blessed and lucky to be someone who was coming back to this country and not somebody who had to endure everything that had happened. So there was a, a definitely a blessing that came with being people who were returning to a country. Mm. And, but there was a, a disconnect with those who have, who had already been here, who had lived here, who had even grown up wanting to come back home and longing for this place that I didn't, I didn't have that same longing because I had a different understanding of, of, of myself. Then there was a great strong connection with people who had also come back to a country that they either had known a long time ago, who knew little about, and we could learn ourselves in this country together. So a big reason for staying was also because I could then see myself in those who wanted to come and stay. And so it was a connection to family, to my grandparents, to my extended family that I didn't have before um, or had when I was very, very little. And so it made me think of an, uh, it was a new way of seeing home. It was like a home you don't know before, but a home that is within you. So then I found my place in Rwanda and that's why I wanted to stay. And I think a big thing for Rwandans is, is finding their place um, within, within the country, within this space. And I think that's reflected a lot now when people are becoming more, are showcasing themselves more. Our music is changing. Uh, our, our art is changing. Our way of expressing ourselves, the what we do for fun is changing because we are, putting ourselves in our space instead of being a certain kind of, of person. And so over time, there's obviously an energy that shifts from one of, of survival and one of pushing and growth and working hard to now mm -hmm. stepping into an era of, of more freedom, an era of more, the, the luxury of options, the luxury of freedoms, the luxury of creating a life for yourself the way you can design your home, the, the school mm. you can choose for your children, the way you, you decide how to have fun. So it, it's, it's that growth has, has happened mm. over time and that energy has shifted over time so that we are a different kind of, of Rwanda now. And a lot of that has to do with 100% with the leadership, with the people who are here building the country in, across industries with people who are trying to introduce new things to the country and to Rwandans and inject a bit of fun because our neighbors remind us we're the least fun of the region. We already know. That's we already for sure. Know. We're yes, working on that. Sure. <laughs> we're working on that. We are aware. Once we cross the borders, things are different. We're aware. <laughs> but we're we're getting there slowly. So it's that kind of of, of being in a state now where and, and there is a there's a complete understanding of how blessed and lucky and fortunate we are to be in this space and the funny thing is you know i don't know for you guys but in burundi usually when you talk about working in creative spaces uh be it in the 90s or 2000 actually it's something that really parents tend to <laughs> frown upon and be like what, what is that what you know what you're gonna design 
I'm pretty sure computer is more than just designing or just word. And I wonder what it feels like to be you. What did you study in order to, to become a creative? Maybe you are a creative at heart, but to just follow that you know, sense of, hey, we can do something. Because, you know, usually parents will mm. push for, you know, doctor, lawyers, engineers, something that's pretty <laughs> out there, heavy, seven, ten years of studies. But you guys needed to build something quickly and well. And I wonder how you saw yourself fitting into those spaces. Yeah, so for me, it was definitely passion over education. So I studied uh, psychology. <laughs> and oh, wow. then okay. I went yeah. into, I went into, um, into I started my, one of my first jobs here was with an economic development firm. And I was working mm-hmm. on the, we were look, working on the five main pillars that would grow Rwanda's economy. So I was on the tourism pillar. So I went into tourism, fell in love with it, studied, did my master's on <laughs> tourism development. And then I was head of tourism marketing at the Rwanda Development Board. Oh, and wow. that's where the communications okay. part came yeah. in. So we are, you know, we're looping around. And that's when I was looking at, because that's when I had to work really hard on the Rwandan image and then. Mm storytelling particularly for Rwanda so that's where the energy and the passion came from is is on the job essentially and so my co-founder is one of them um, who's my sister as well she's a she has a legal background she's a lawyer and she was working for the UN before leaving for this Um, one of our lead uh, one of our co-founders is a biologist another one is a marketing specialist another photographer so we have very different backgrounds and it was just solely from the the passion and energy that was around the storytelling for the country and and now applies for for the african continent because it's so exciting what's coming out of africa it's just so amazing that and and then also we're we're well a little bit before covid as well because unfortunately some of the flights got affected but traveling amongst like within our own african countries instead of always mm. having to go abroad for a vacation beyond the continent for vacation and experiencing our our own food and cultures, our jokes, the way we make fun of each other on Twitter, this kind of stuff. Absolutely. It's it's perfect. It's it's really where Africans need to be in that pride that we're feeling. And so that's what we're really excited about being a part of, regardless of the background. So even even that our co-founder, who is a biologist and a conservationist, also, we did, um, we haven't, part of it is the African conservation, conservation of Africa's parks Mm. and conservation of nature. And then even how we, storytell and how we connect and how we curate so we've had some opportunities to curate experiences we had one we actually we um we went to france to do an ex to do an exhibition that was curated from different africa we chose artists of different african countries in fashion mm-hmm. in photography and brought an exhibition to france so people could experience african artists who were based mm. on the continent um, we have another, we have a branch of our company called Illum Editions and we publish books. So we published one book called This is Rwanda and it's a an aerial photography book shot from a helicopter. So no drones, it's our lead photographers, Philippe and Gael, leaning out of a helicopter with no doors, taking pictures of the country. <laughs> and we're planting, okay, yes. And so we want to use, like broaden that book from This is Rwanda to a bunch of other African countries. We publish books mm-hmm. from by Rwandan and other authors, but about the country, and then we want to to do it for for across the continent. So this is like our excitement about storytelling about the continent, regardless of our background, is what really has continued to drive us. I'm just pitching for other continent, uh, other countries. 
if they hire you guys. You, I can't imagine which one. <laughs> Man. <laughs> I'll be, I'll be like, hey, <laughs> just, you know, Bujumbura is only 45 minutes, if not. It's only no, 45 it's, minutes it's away. Oh, it's so much fun. You know what I mean? And, and we know how to party. Yes. <clears throat> this I will not disagree with. Because it's the I truth. I will completely you know agree what I mean? with you on that. <laughs> so I remember the first time I went to Bujumbura and I was like, oh my God, these are the fun cousins. It's like they look and act like us, but they, <laughs> they don't. don't. <laughs> And actually, someone told me like, once you, oh man, once you land in Kigali at some point, just don't party. Just you know, just be serious. Because I was like, no, because we I, are working on it. I mean, but yeah. you know, but we have our pockets. We have our pockets of good times, but we're working on maybe because the, the Randons that I know used to come to Burundi and party hard, and I'm like, like no, no, yeah. no, we don't do this. No, we would literally cross any border. That's crazy. Uganda, DRC, Burundi, yeah. We would just be like, that's where we're going to have a good time. Because we're, we were small communities in particular. That's true. So you have to, yeah. you know, you want to make sure that yeah. you're putting your best foot forward that's when you're for home. That's for sure. And when you're not. Yeah. But now we're, yeah, it's a But I wonder, it's a word. Like, see, to say you that. do the luxury stuff in terms of tourism. Because I studied the tourism and I really love the fact that you guys ah, okay. really reach into the luxury space. Yeah. Because yeah. I, yeah. I keep telling people that eating healthy food, for example, for me now is luxury. Mm which, you know, <laughs> as Africans, we should call ourselves luxurious hotel. Yes. But I really like the fact that you guys really stepped up and really brought something that was quite unusual in, you could yeah. say in Kenya, yes, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. But in Rwanda, and, you know, people can complain that you're paying a, a, a lot of money, but you're bringing mm-hmm. quality. Then again, I want to circle yeah. back to you being in an RDB space in tourism. What was mm-hmm. maybe the conversation if after season, you know? Yeah, because it's 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 even beyond just um just being able to 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 make a certain amount of money. So as a small nation and with our national parks mm-hmm. that are relatively small compared to our neighbors, mm-hmm. we only have and and the biggest focus for us was the a combination of tourism and conservation. It had to go hand in hand. There was no allowing tourism to come before conservation. Because what we had is, of course, our natural attractions as our biggest uh, tourism attraction. So the idea of the of the high yield tourism is because we wanted, sorry, of the high end tourism is because we wanted to attract um, fewer people to spend more money because we really could not do mass tourism. Yeah. Not just because we felt, oh, this is going to be a higher end product because it was ready to be a high end product, but also because we had to think of a sustainable tourism model that would work for the country long-term. Kenya is quite large and they can afford to do mass tourism because they have larger parks and they have can have cars moving in. But we knew that that would degrade, uh, degrade the environment as well. That would affect yeah. conservation, that would affect the actual animals. And our goal is to have people to look at the animals and see the nature in, you know, in person, where it is, not bringing it to zoos, not, you know, mm. cordoning off and not affecting the communities that lived around the area. So the communities that were always around the national parks were a part of the growth of tourism. They were incorporated in it. They became some of the guides. They were suppliers of fruits and vegetables to the hotels. They are a part of it. So every part of our tourism experience has to deal with the making sure the environment and conservation are at the forefront, the communities themselves, so that Rwandans are benefiting. And Rwandans mm-hmm. themselves had to become ambassadors for tourism. So they had to accept, understand the whole process of, of why tourism was now going to be a big part of what we did as Rwanda. And when some of our leading tour operators first went 
abroad to promote Rwanda at these at tourism fairs. People just thought they were joking. They just said, how, how, why would anyone come to Rwanda? Because again, the only thing you see was the genocide at the time. Genocide yeah. was the and if you knew about the gorillas, and as you said, with everyone having gorillas, everyone's like, I'm pretty sure we can see gorillas somewhere else. But we're like, not like here. And it was an effort. It was an effort from like a, a handful of really innovative and creative tourism leads in this country that were the, the really the foundation of, of tourism because they understood it as a product. They understood how tourists would react. And then we had to get our services to match the prices that we wanted to request because we also had to find the people who would be those who were actually providing the service, the hotels, the, the restaurants, and we did not have great service and we did not have an understanding of a good strong service industry. So RDB was running campaigns about strong service, about having strong service industry. They were essentially, it, 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 was, it was prioritized in such a way that the country became like a part, like entirely a part of building the tourism industry. We all became part of it, ambassadors, we became the domestic tourism was a little bit low. And actually that's what I did my master's thesis on is like making sure that the tourists from Rwanda are actually able to experience these as well, because there's some African countries where people are really excluded. And so people mm. began to, you know, you have uh, different rates for people. You're encouraging people to go to the parks to see the animals that are from their country. And so everybody would be as excited as the tourists themselves. But the, the, the model for that tourism is, is ensuring that it, it, conservation was at the forefront of that model and sustainability. And it's been working in our favor because the parks themselves still continue to be protected and they're a priority across the board. So when people are able to come and see the country and we have created really luxury tourism experiences through our tour operators, through these hotels that are coming now, but it's also encouraged a lot of um, Rwandan investors to do like medium level hotels for other guests mm -hmm. who are coming, but they have to make sure that the standard and the quality that they have in the hotel still matches what RDB has, has really asked them to do. So it's a matter of creating standards. It's a matter of adhering to them. It's, you know, if you weren't meeting the standards of a, like, of a hotel, you know, you're capable of being shut down, but that's something that's also enforced. It's not anything that can really just be paid off. It has to, you know, cause our, yeah. our country is small. And so, word gets around faster. So we have to protect the image as a tourism destination. We have to, mm. you know, be able to serve anybody who wants to travel. And so I'm also really excited to see Africans coming, um, Ghanaians and Nigerians mm -hmm. coming to experience Rwanda as a tourism destination. There was a time that a Nigerian couple came just to get married here in Rwanda. It was their destination hey. wedding. And we were, <laughs> it was, we were like, <laughs> yeah, I'm like, yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Wow. So it Why was, not Zanzibar? This you know? is the thing. Like, you just used crazy. to those other ones. So, so when you, you know, mm. so we, that was a, a big part of making sure that it can be a long-term tourism plan, which it, which it has been. And I wonder if you guys are thinking about the twenty, what is that, thirty-five, forty, in terms of tourism, in terms of image as well. The vision twenty fifty. In terms of image as I well, I have no idea. Do you guys upgrade it mm. onto? Ah, is it twenty fifty? Really, I don't know. I don't as know. in the next twenty? Yeah, the next vision. Uh, oh, okay. Document. There you go. We'll yeah, be alive, about so how we'll be, tourism. Yeah, how tourism <laughs> the image of around. Because honestly, to be honest with you, the fact that French people and I'm talking French people really maybe don't travel that much other than European, mm. they could locate or could, could tell me that Rwanda basically what is this oh alex where are you from i'm from burundi oh i don't know where is it uh oh, rwanda do you yeah. know rwanda and usually they have two two things they have the genocide 
Yeah. But now they can locate and they can say PSG. Oh, wow. You know? That's incredible. And I used That's to say, fantastic. okay, Burundi, Rwanda, oh, South. I always use Kenya as my guide. Oh, yeah. okay. <laughs> no, Kenya because of the genocide they know here. They really know. Now, um, yes, the But French now word, you yeah. can say, hey, PSG, Lionel Messi, Demar. And they're like, ah, oh, d'accord, oui, 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 oui. And, yeah. you know, they go Google and they make it. I remember a few years back, people really complained about a lot of money being, you know, thrown into the campaigns and mm. what I can mm-hmm. call investments. Mm-hmm. And now I'm seeing the rewards. And I wonder if for you guys, are you thinking so much ahead? Like, I wonder if it is like a Saudi Arabia in terms of vision. You may not have the mm. same funds as Saudi Arabia or the Middle East countries, but you have such a vision and steadfastness about where you're going. That is crazy. So tell me about the 2050 yeah. or... So that, so, so for me, from, cause I was at RDB before, so now I'm looking at it from an outsider's perspective, but I really have uh, a lot of respect for the leadership of RDB. Mm-hmm. Um, so Clara Kamanzi and how she's really, uh, I used to work with her and I always tell her that what I like the most about her is she's a strong decision maker. And <laughs> even in the face of a lot of criticism, she's always the one to, to do the best to explain and just, you know, kind of tell us this is how it's going to work. This is why this is done. Mm. It was a big point of controversy with Arsenal deal and with PSG following because everybody's like, what? We have the money? Where did it come from? Where is it going? <laughs> but that one was definitely a, a waiting game and not even as long as people thought to see the rewards of the of the Arsenal deals and the, and the PSG deal. It was putting our name out to an audience that literally would not have thought of us before. Yeah. And who had maybe heard of us in passing, but never thought it was something that could be associated with their favorite yeah. teams or their favorite brands. And such a bold space, you know, literally on the, it was a bold move. Yeah. And it's something that then people started to see it as they watched the matches. And then they're realizing it's getting in their heads and they're like, wow, this actually is working. But the most important thing, obviously, is the tourists who would then follow and who would then come. Um, and so I think that there is... The, the thing about um, some of these things is you'll find that there is a boldness that isn't really justified by anything prior to it. And, but that's how Rwanda has been moving to grow. We have to assume, we have to know we're going to get to this position, <laughs> you know, without any evidence that we can in the moment, <laughs> besides the fact that like, there's no prior thing that's shown us we can do it, but we have a, but there's like a why, why not? Why can't mm-hmm. we do that? And in all honesty, I think that definitely comes from our president because he's consistently challenging the rest of us in his speeches. You know, why, why wouldn't this be possible? What, Mm. what more can you do? And I think the, with our leadership, they do have a specific vision that may be beyond what we think is capable with our, with what we have, but it's enabled us to also have bigger visions. And also when we speak to people about Rwanda and they respond in such a way that's really positive and they're like you guys are doing such amazing things or how did you come up with this or we want to work with you here we want to visit or people telling us that they're telling their people that this is the best place to be because now we have a lot of african-americans who are coming to move here and invest here and live here like as their as their decision is usually between ghana and rwanda in terms of leaving the u.s and relocating somewhere else and so we we also have a you know, an understanding that there there is a reason to to believe in in what Rwanda is building and to also be as bold in our th- in our thinking. So now, 
<laughs> now you're in a creative space because I'm literally fun, fun fact. I just saw uh, Claire Kamanzi actually uh, at Davos and she was speaking, and I was like, yes, 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 yes. as if she's, she's representing my, my country, but she's re- representing <laughs> Might as well be. We're close. East Africa We're close. at least. But I'm really glad. Yeah, I'm really glad she went there and she was like, you know, showing up. Uh, yeah. For me, as as uh, as someone who who still is afraid a little bit to Google my country on you know on the internet, yeah. I, I still have a hard time to try like to tell my friends like oh, you know Google this, but like specific keywords. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I I wonder for you when you Google and you see the work that you guys have been doing for for a decade mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. I'm not gonna say like what. Is it pride? Is it like, oh my goodness, we made it? Is it like, okay, my kids and my grandkids will be able to to be like, oh, mommy did this, and you know, the co-founders. Yeah. What is that energy? What is that emotion or emotions actually that are really coming up? Because now, let's be real. I follow the tourism industry, the hospitality, and I see Rhonda on, oh no, Condé Nast Traveler, uh, the mm-hmm. best, you know, the best list ever. People who yeah. don't know about hospitality, I mean, you guys have the best, one and only, the singitas, the, the, I yeah. mean, it's all there. And you, what do you do? How do you feel? Like, you know, this is Friday, mm. <laughs> end of the week, you're like, I did my job. You know what I mean? Like, Definitely when I was working in the tourism industry and, and seeing that turnaround in terms of how people responded to us and the belief that we could be a leading African destination to where we've come to now. It's a huge sense of pride. And especially I'm always looking for those who were there at the beginning to just kind of remind, like remind them how far, what they've built really as tour operators, as hoteliers, as leaders of RDE, Mm. as leaders of tourism boards across the, over time, it's just been an incredible shift. It's a huge sense of pride to see that there's work. There's there's what the outcome of that work Personally, on, on the creative side, when we when we do Google something, we're like, oh, that's ours, that one's ours. Uh, the other day I was driving through town and we just had a billboard that we'd done with Primus. <laughs> it was a creative campaign about Primus from the past to the future, right? Or past to the present. So we did, we created a, I can actually send you the billboards. They're fantastic. So we created about five different scenes and recreated older Rwanda versus newer Rwanda. And it's a split screen. Oh, nice. And I was so excited. And so my sister had shown it to my kids and my nieces and nephews and said, this was our work. So now we drove by it again. And my daughter said to me, mommy, that's your work. And to me, I was like, ah. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) And it was, and that was a cool Mm. time. It was taking such an old, like such an, like a known Rwandan Mm. brand and like making it for now. And that was almost like a reflection of how, how our work has been here and it could be as simple as an actual brand advertisement or it could be the way we speak the language we use about Rwanda because mm. we've advised on that uh, for a few people as well it's about how we open up space particularly for the creative industries and how we want to showcase as many people in the creative industries as possible um, before our work really people didn't think they could be photographers as a profession and so that shift in, in how we work and, and who we profile and who we talk about, we can see and feel the shift. So when we turned 10 was the biggest moment for us. I think, yeah, I think it was our 10th anniversary. So people started leaving a lot of comments on our Twitter feeds and our Instagram about how much nice. we had influenced them. Or some of our former team members were like, these guys led me on this path. And it was, that was, <laughs> oh, that yeah. was it. <laughs> that yeah. was a huge, huge moment for us. Because sometimes you're just in the work and you don't really think mm. about the impact. And so to see that we had 
opened doors for many people in the creative industries and we had allowed other people to build on what they didn't think they could do because these industries didn't exist in this way before. They were mm. absolutely photographers before, absolutely storytellers, Accident. 100%. And they were telling the stories of the country at different phases. So this was essentially our turn. And so we we honor everybody who came before us. We honor anybody who was determined, to, especially during the hardest times, to speak mm. about what a, a beautiful country this is, what a beautiful continent this is. And they struggled way more than we ever have to be able to change a narrative about a people that they knew were proud people, and I'm talking about the, across the whole continent, yeah. people who are innovative, who are loving and, and proud and caring and strong and powerful mm. to people who didn't want to hear it. And even to ourselves, we shifted our own narratives about each other. So to the point that we didn't even believe good things about each other. And this is the time that is changing. This is the time that we must change it because we know a lot more. We have a lot more access to information. So mm. to be able to, to build our continent and seemingly through small things, you know, through concerts and through gatherings and through even podcasts like this, when we're talking about each other and ourselves, it seems mm. like it's a smaller version compared to what we've had to overcome. But this is exactly what storytelling is. This is exactly how we define ourselves for ourselves and for others. So it's a, I think it's a wonderful moment for the continent. I'm very excited about everything that's coming out of it. I mean, so well said. I don't know what to say after that. <clears throat> Maybe <laughs> when you Google Burundi, you'll see Alex, Alexandra Nyamoya. I'm going you know? <laughs> to use those. <laughs> those are the keywords you need. You know? That's the keywords. <laughs> that's, that's what you need. Those are the keywords. But it, it's a struggle because honestly, it's like as much as I love my country, sometimes you feel like you, you're trying to push a different narrative and then you hear something else. But that's another story for another podcast. Mm -hmm. My question for yes. you then is, Is your is your success of Illum Studios? Can you think that it's due to you being you understanding you guys understanding the cultural? You know, I mean, imagine if um, a Western or an Asian agency mm -hmm. would have pop up at the same time, doing the same thing, having the same material, but not having the same understanding, not having the same experiences, not having the same, you mm -hmm. know shock trauma whatever do you think you could have managed to be as successful not being randoms because why am i asking you this because i feel like if you're moving for example if you open an agency like in addis ababa for example yeah. it's a country that's opening up step by step they need you know a really good narrative they need a new storytelling a fresh storytelling so yeah. and you mm -hmm. can come and join you know do you feel like you can make it happen as much as you did in Kigali, in Rwanda, or just because you're Rwandans, or just open? So I think, yeah, I think the reason it works is because we had uh, different perspectives, and we never did anything without factoring in a representation of, of people who were from mm -hmm. here, and who lived here, and diff people's different lived experiences. So we always recognize that we are people who came back to Rwanda and did not grow up here. Well, some of us grew up partially here and mm -hmm. returned. So I would say we always recognize that we're people who returned to Rwanda and there were gaps in our lives where we weren't, where we weren't here. We could never do any element of storytelling around either a project or something that had to do with people who were not, who didn't have our same experience and didn't take their experience into account. But being Rwandan and having that culture definitely makes a big difference when you're telling the story about Rwanda and Rwanda's people. 
if we were to go to Ethiopia, we would never do it without Ethiopians. Right. We could be able to arrive and say we want to be part of this, but there would mm. never be a point where the the lead storytellers themselves were not the Ethiopians themselves. And mm. then even, you know, with some of our larger countries, even regionally, Rwanda, we're much smaller, so we don't always have to factor in so many different regions. But in a place like, like Ethiopia and Uganda, you got to make sure you get that right. Oh, so yeah. it's about, yeah, I, there have been, sorry, there have been company, uh, agencies that have come to to tell the Rwandan story, but there, there is always something that's slightly missed. Right. Or not every time, but at times there are things that are slightly missed or there's a connection to Rwanda with the rest of Africa in that we behave the same way and we respond the same way and we don't as we are aware. No, we don't. Especially a few years back, we are way more conservative. Some ad agencies came from Kenya and Uganda. They had these great ads that were, to them, hilarious, and to a few people, hilarious. But to a lot of the population, everyone's like, what is that? No. Because we just didn't have that sense of humor. So, and I wouldn't assume to be able to do it anywhere else. I don't even think I could go to this Burundi right here, Cousins, and just apply my thoughts without having a Burundi and be like, no, that's not it. So it's, for me, a big part of it has to do with the culture. Mm. Huge part. So when we're doing talking about Pan-African storytelling, so much of it is connecting with the people who are of the place. Mm. So, and it's, it's so much, such a relief to be able to see people be able to tell their own story from their perspective and not ours looking in. So I think Ilum, I know Ilum as a Pan-African agency is able to do African storytelling but never without the people who are of the place. Because mm. to me, that's not genuine and that's not, uh, and it really takes away from the point of storytelling about your place right. when you're getting someone else to do it. So I think it's it's possible, but people are most successful when they're working with the people of the place, for sure. Is there any meaning, particular meaning with Ilum or just? Ilum, it's, to illuminate, it's shortened for illumination, to illuminate, okay. so to shed light on you there you go, getting there to you shed go. light that's, on that's something. That's yeah, beautiful. to illuminate. That's All where right. it comes from. So let me take you to the last segment of me trying to understand how you you, you how you're so good at changing the narratives. Why am I saying this? Rwandans are mm-hmm. known for being refugees. As you said, you guys were from different places and stuff and stuff. Yeah. But I, I, it's so funny because I will have someone who, you know, works for an agency of refugees. Long story short how do we define refugees is really how we treat them at, as well at the end of the day. And I love the fact that uh, people will think I'm random. Maybe you guys owe me like a passport, but I'm going to just <laughs> sing this. The president's really how, you know, it's a small country, been through tough times, but is able to welcome refugees because you guys know what, mm-hmm. you know, fleeing looks like, yes. you know, hardships and, yes. and stuff and stuff. But somehow you you feel like when you listen to some news, you you listen to oh they're Syrian refugees ah oh it's so bad oh they're Rwandans or whatever Congolese refugees and oh. we don't remember that here in Europe for example you've had some royal families that fled their own countries but you don't never call them like refugees you you don't say like the Russian family left you know you're like yeah they were. No, we use different words for people who are of different skin tones. Merci, you know. Yeah, because we use people who are maybe exiled versus refugees. You use expatriate versus immigrant. (laughs) That's that's the big one. (laughs) Removed forcibly has a definition. Yes, has a word. I'm saying this because there was the last king of Greece that just died like a week ago. So 
But he fled Greece because they were ready to kill him. And he moved to London for years, you know. And then at the same time, I had uh, Joel McConan, who is on the podcast, who was, is actually the great grandson of the emperor of Haile Selassie. And it's funny because he will say, we moved to Italy, Mm -hmm. you know, we got exiled to Italy. So Mm -hmm. I'm taking this on the Rwandan front. Mm -hmm. You guys are changing the narrative. How are you talking or how will you be talking about another exit coming in, in, in Rwanda? Will you call them refugees or people we're helping? Or you as oh. a communication Oh, expert. as a communication, calling them refugees or not. Yeah, trying to change the narrative of Africa. Well, the thing know. about it is uh, Rwanda had made a commitment to be able to be the kind of country that would accept uh, people who had been exiled from other countries, particularly if it was in difficult circumstances. So we have been, as a country, open to receiving those who are refugees, those Mm. who have been exiled. We we haven't, for me, I think that is a political angle that has to be, that lies in a lot of diplomatic Mm -hmm. phrasing. For sure. And so, but I think as a a nation and even as a, a, a proud country, we are, we are looking to, to equalize the narrative in terms of how we speak about people. So no matter where they're coming from, there is no difference in how they are treated and how they're received and how, and what the actual process is. Um, so even in the the phrasing of, of how we refer to people, it's a matter of being a space, a, a safe haven for people who don't have their home anymore. And it's because we are made up of a nation of people who had, so many people had been exiled. So many people were refugees and grew up in refugee camps. Not entirely everybody, but very many, a large part of our population. And so we come, a lot of what we we do and how we structure ourselves is, is from, is based on where we've come from. And the life experience, the lived experiences that we've had as, as Rwandans from all over mm-hmm. and even from here, um, searching for a redefinition of home we everyone who's been here has had to redefine what their their home looks like what they call home and how they live in it in this growth of rwanda there had there couldn't be anybody left behind mm. it had to be it has to be that people understand the changes that are coming and accept the changes that are coming and of course nobody is agreed and everything 100% mm. absolutely not there never will be and no one thinks the system is perfect but there was a, an an effort made, a concerted effort made to ensure that everyone understood why we are doing something, where we're going with it, and to mm-hmm. bring people along. And so everyone has a shift in their life. Everyone has had a shift in their life since then. And so when we have people who are looking for us and us by force have to find a new home, we understand what that looks and feels like. Because even people who were living here, there has been a shift in where people were were. People may have been displaced. People may have had to find a new place to stay. And so that that understanding of people coming and needing help to re, right. to strengthen up their, their lives again in the time to do so is, I think, why we have we are a country that is very accepting. But I think a lot of the world doesn't think that we des- we should be or somehow deserve to be or have we have the audacity mm-hmm. to take people in and think that we can take <laughs> we can take care of that situation it's like a who do they think they are kind of thing because it's not really we don't think of african countries as offering refuge to people 
And so I think that that's, yeah, it's a matter of completely shifting and not looking for permission from others to say that this is the kind of nation we are and this is how mm -hmm. we intend to, to treat others. Go tell that to the British. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, They are having what, a time. What, They are what? really upset about this. And it's funny because it's like, it's either they live on the street or they're welcome in a hotel somewhere in Kigali. No, they they, I'm afraid they want them to live on the streets. And this is the dangerous thing about, about maybe it's not politics these days. Maybe it's politics, but we're more grown up. So we see it around us a lot. But there's a, la a huge lack of empathy that exists in our world today. And that's, that's one of the, the saddest things because people can no longer put themselves in somebody else's shoes. It's, it's sad. It's sad. So what's, what's next for you then? What's next for you as, you know, uh, as Joan? And then what's next for you for, for the company? You know, what projects are you working on? Well, honestly, as Joan, I am just trying to emerge out of the past two years with <laughs> yeah. a different mindset. I'm honestly just being like, okay, now things are, let's try again. <laughs> you can't control you know? things. It's okay. You can't yeah. control things. Let's work on the physical and the mental health. Let's work on joy. Let's work on, you know, let's just push and grow. So my, yeah. my whole thing at the moment is just getting to that point. Uh, for Ilum, as I mentioned, we're really going to expand ourselves beyond uh, Rwanda. We're looking forward to creating uh, experiences, curating um, projects, events, mm. exhibitions. We're looking to work with various clients across the continent and globally speaking to really be at the forefront of shifting this African narrative and be more creative and enjoy ourselves more as we do so. So we're coming up with our own products and our own services that are not just client-based. And I will make sure to keep you in the loop and we'll have to guess be a bit yes. more, you yes, know, we'll please. be showcasing ourselves pretty soon. Yeah. I mean, and then I have to ask you this because... What is for you, Agachiro? Oh, what is for me, Agachiro? For Read me, it's a, we heard, we heard me trying. <laughs> for me, it's honestly, um, it's it's an it's an understanding of self. It's a it's an understanding of home. It's a sense of pride that's not just the proud in terms of the negative sense, but a a pride of of where I am, where I've come from, and where I'm going. You like that one, didn't you? You like that Oof. one. I saw you like. You. I got Shiro. Urishima. Urishima, when you go on that. Urishima, bro. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. But I need, I need to travel. I need to travel. I need to travel to Please Kigali. Please do. Really get to see what I'm, I've been reading. Please and come and find me when you come here. Honestly, and eat a brochette and talk about the future of communication. And, Amen. Because yes, basics That's are it. brochettes. And you don't have frito. Have you drank frito? I have not drank frito. So now I gotta go to Bouja and drink frito. You need help and you need voila. Ah! Voila. Oh, ah! voila. No, vraiment. Ah! It's, it's like no. It's like going to Uganda and not eat a matoke or je sais plus how they call it. Oh. It's yeah, like, that is big. That is problematic then. That is a problem. Voila. But well, I have to you change know. my situation. And then mm -hmm. once you once you come to France, I'll show you a really good croissant. And yes, Leon, please. Let me thank you for this. Thank you for your time. Oh, thank you so much. I will just link everything that you guys are doing, obviously. And then if people want, need to get in touch with you, I guess social media, aka Perfect. LinkedIn. Yes, at Elum, double E L O O M. It's the phonetic spelling, Elum. 
There you go. Take You'll care. Find us. Thank you so much. This was wonderful. Thank you.